Welcome back to it. It is Husker Sports Weekly, finally. More like Husker Sports every six months. More like Husker Sports whenever you want it. But hey, we are back for the first time since March 31st. And that is just a product of schedules, logistics, whatever you want to call it. I wouldn't say pure laziness because we've had no, a lot going on. No, I mean, yeah, we're we're both fairly busy individuals. But we're back. And we are we're back. here we're here to talk about, I mean, a ton of stuff. I mean, Husker football is as the time we're recording this, which is Thursday, August tenth, three weeks away, almost to the minute of kicking off. Yep. So that's extremely exciting up in Minneapolis, Nebraska, Minnesota. We will have coverage for you all month long leading up into that game and obviously previewing that game uh, when it is game week um, and we've got conference realignment to talk about. Mm -hmm. We've got uh, the rest of the Big Ten to talk about. We've got even more like outside of the Big Ten conference realignment to talk about, more right. basketball stuff to talk. We got everything. What I mean, volleyball day in Nebraska that went down during yes. during our time off. We, yeah, we got uh, that let's to see. talk what about. Else? We we're, we're gonna have a crazy week, second week of school. Yeah. this year, and I am very much looking forward to it because classes were canceled for that uh, Nebraska volleyball yes. day on August. Yeah, 30, so. right. A new chancellor. That's another another yes. wrinkle. New chance for no more Ronnie, but happy retirement, Ronnie. You did a great job for the limited time that we were able to. The exit get, video, the exit video out of the office, that, that was, was superb. Good. That was very that good. Was superb. Shout out to whatever social media team put that together because they were they were on top of it. But in case if you forgot who the heck we are, my name's Connor Clark. I'm with Grant Hansen, as always. Mm. And you can follow us on Twitter at C underscore Clark underscore 27 and at Hansen. Not Hanson. I almost said your old Twitter handle. Ian, not Owen. Yeah. Look, it may change. It may change. I I have had people tell me multiple times I should alter it, but, but I have yet to I have yet to come up with a better better one. So look, I'm taking, I'm taking suggestions. Okay. So well, if you have a suggestion for Grant, Mr. Grant Hanson. Throw it, throw it in Twitter, throw it wherever. I mean, just start tweeting at him like crazy. So. And by the, and you know where to find me. Ian, yes, not only, yes, Anson, not yes. You, you know exactly where to find but him. But just to prove that we didn't forget Nebraska's new chancellor's name, Rodney Bennett. Yes. Congratulations. Welcome, Rodney. Chancellor Bennett. Chancellor Bennett. Welcome to Lincoln. It's going to be a great year. Uh, if you want to find our show, you can go to Spotify or any of your other favorite podcast networks, um, and you can follow the show on Twitter at Husker Weekly. So. Let's get into this thing, finally. We've been mm-hmm. talking about doing one of these episodes for a, a long time, and it just hasn't worked out. So here we are, and we're going to lead things off in this episode with conference realignment because that is probably the biggest story of the offseason, or one of the biggest Certainly. stories. Take your pick. Um, but Nebraska. The Big Ten adding two more schools on top of USC and UCLA in the past week. Oregon and Washington will make the jump over to the Big Ten starting in 2024. So four former Pac-12 teams now making the jump over to the Big Ten. The conference at 18 teams in total. And this brings a whole new level of excitement. Obviously, you bring in the Seattle TV market. You bring in a brand like Oregon. um, And that just makes your schedule look a whole lot different when it comes to everything. And... People want to talk about, obviously, football is at the center centerpiece of this move, but you look at how basketball will improve with this. You will look at how baseball will improve with Certainly. this tremendously. And even other sports. I mean, you add Oregon. You add probably the nicest track and field facility in the country. And so, like, you get enhanced sports on those Olympic sports. Um, and you get the Nike brand in there with right. Phil Knight and, and <clears throat> right. his huge sponsorship with Oregon. So... This is a very exciting move. I was one when the UCLA and USC news broke. I was like, ah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I'm on board with this. I like the Big Ten. I, I kind of like the nostalgia of it. But since a year has passed from then, we've kind of gotten used to this now. I'm just, I'm excited for for Washington and Oregon to to join this conference and add a whole new dimension. It's going to be fun. There's going to be two purple teams. In the conference now, yes, so for, yep. For you, for you, uniform nerds like me, that's something to look forward to. Obviously, Oregon uniforms, but huge news. And and this broke what last Friday. So, 
uh, or last Friday or Thursday. I can't, I can't remember the actual day. I, I think it was Friday. I mean, there was rumblings, obviously. Yes. All this stuff going on on social media for a long time. And, and look, I mean, Big Ten, the Big Ten was rumored to be adding Oregon and Washington around the same time that they picked up right. USC and UCLA. Um, look, it, it is a, it, it's really fascinating on so many levels because football obviously takes center stage here. And all these decisions were really made with football in mind. The media deals. You know, by the way, speaking of schedules, I mean, rip the 2024-2025 schedule model the Big Ten released like know, a month right? ago. <laughs> I mean, Nebraska was supposed to visit UCLA uh, in that 2024 season. Then they would host UCLA in 2025 and go back to the Coliseum. they go to the Coliseum uh, in 2025 to face USC. I mean, it, like, there was a lot of it, it made those those two teams already made the Big Ten a much much more competitive place, and then you add Oregon and Washington on top of that with two outstanding coaches. Uh, you know you, you're you're going to be looking at a situation here soon where I I, th- I think and, and I guess as far as if we if we get back to what it means for Nebraska, you know I, I think now look I think there's a lot of people who just want to get back. To, to bowl eligibility obviously duh um but w- when it comes to where nebraska's expectations need to be in the future when you're facing kalen DeBoer of washington when you're facing lincoln riley i you need to really think very carefully i think about about where these expectations should be. I, I mean Logically. like you're going to be looking at eight win seasons largely as a positive right i i think because if you can get to eight if you can get to nine that's going to be a really good thing the problem is you're facing what's looking to become more and more of a nfl light sort of situation and you wonder how long that it can sustain itself too that's the other question especially if you want to try to get to 20 teams right because then what you're probably playing at the max, 10 conference games um, from where things stand right now um, with eight, by, by my count, if I'm correct here. Uh, so nine. nine, sorry. Thank you. So, so you're at nine conference games right now. At a minimum, you're probably going to end up playing 10 or 11. And if you get to 11 and at 20 teams, if the Big Ten added two more programs, then you're looking at playing like just over half the league I mean, you wonder how long before you really just completely commit to the NFL light model and just say the Big Ten champ will play the SEC champ. Or I, I mean, because I, I don't know how you determine who the conference champion of this thing is if you're not playing, if you're playing about half of the league. I mean, that that's going to be a huge problem to answer, even with 18 teams, let alone if the Big Ten goes to 20, but I, I think you're looking at a situation here where it's kind of a, a, a no-half-measures sort of place uh, where I think the Big Ten and the SEC are both at in a lot of ways. And, you know, some of the other conferences are just trying to survive. The Big 12 doesn't look like it's going to. I mean, the Big 12, for the time being, has done, I think, a good oh, job. Sorry, the Pac-12. I'm, yeah. I apologize. The Pac-12. Okay, that, that makes more yes. sense. I was, gonna say. I was actually going to give credit to the Big 12. Yeah, the, the Pac-12 is going to vanish I I think that's a a pretty fair way to look at it right now and I mean I feel bad for the teams that are left because this is I mean this is the Pac-12's doing at the end of the day I think and when you look at the NFL model too when it comes to you know potentially getting 20 teams in this league I mean what do you look at for divisions maybe is that going to be a thing how many teams are you going to get into the playoff from the Big Ten, yeah, if that you has keep to be expanding. Altered. Because right now, I mean, it take this as a hypothetical example. If you have a year in which Ohio State, Michigan, USC, and Oregon all finish with ten plus wins in the Big Ten, is that a, is that a an instance where you have four teams make the playoffs from the Big Ten? I mean, the hardest thing is determining the automatic qualifier. Because how can you say, you know, Ohio State, Ohio's, let's say Michigan wins the Big Ten, and they, again, play 10 games 
against a total of 20 possible. I mean, how can you say that's the best team? You know, it's just hard to d- to decide well, I think who the best is. Or you're playing if it's a nine and nine situation, right? Or ten and ten, you're playing what ten home, ten division games and a crossover. I mean, it's like how how do you know? I think the rebuttal to that argument is the fact that. I mean, if if it was the two best teams playing in the net, or not in the national championship, but in the Big Ten championship, it would they would be from the East Division, right? There would be no right, West, like Michigan playing Purdue, and that's just an example. Like Michigan, obviously, clearly the best team, but that game should be Michigan Ohio State, or depending on the year, no. Ohio State Penn State, hundred percent right. Yeah, like so, yeah, the current division system is not good, and that's why it's going away. Thankfully, right. so. Uh, well, maybe not thankfully for us here in Lincoln, but for everybody else, and I think for entertainment value, I think that's obviously probably the best decision, and it, it makes the most sense uh, when, when it comes down to you need to have the two best teams play each other for that conference championship. Another thing I want to hit on, too, in just broad realignment, and this is probably one of the more ridiculous storylines that I've heard, and we've talked about it. Why is the ACC even looking at Stanford and Cal. Yeah, I know. I it's, don't get it. So it's it's so crazy. It's so crazy from Cal and Stanford's perspective as well. And, and you wonder, like, Stanford really doesn't – I mean, it just depends on how much people care about Stanford athletics around Stanford. They and don't. If you look at the football attendance numbers, you would, you would probably guess that they don't at all. Uh, so the thing is, Stanford, I think, can probably survive – as a university, whether it be independent or if it should be um, in the Mountain West or wherever. like I, Stanford's going to be fine. I, I have some severe questions about Cal's athletic department, I believe. Yeah. Right, because I, I think, and I look, I could be wrong on this, and this is my fault for not doing a big enough like dive in and research to find out for sure, but you know, Cal, in my, my understanding, is in a position where, as an athletic department, they are struggling greatly financially. I mean, when's the last time that Cal was relevant? A, a game that's on prime time, right? right? Like maybe the Jared Goff years, and even then, well, and they you, weren't that good. I mean, you think about the two biggest sports, football and basketball. They've been horrendous. They've, they were the worst for, team in the Pac-12 this year in basketball. They were the potentially the worst team, one of the worst teams in the country for basketball. Yes, they won, what, three games, I think? Yeah. Three and 28, they Appalling. were. So, they, so bad that Tim Miles, not to say this is a knock on Tim Miles, but Tim Miles had been at San Jose State for a year, and he was being rumored for their head coaching job, like, immediately. Yeah. Now, yeah, he did a great job at San bad. Jose State, and he earned that consideration, but it's just like they were they were in a spot where, you know, they were just well, looking for anything. Well, yeah, where do you go? Like, so I think – I, I agree. I'd be more worried about Cal because Stanford does have a good, like, athletic department wise, it's pretty good. Yeah. But I mean, the, they make enough. They can. They make enough money that if they care about athletics, they can support it. That is true, but I don't. It's it feels wrong to put Stanford not in a power conference because of the name Stanford. Yes. But as an independent, how much like. Okay, where are they going to get a TV deal? That like that's where my mind goes because obviously that's where the bulk of your money comes from for football. Mm-hmm. And obviously Notre Dame's been able to do it, but they've been doing it for tens and tens of years, like almost a decade basically. So right. how is Stanford going to do that? I don't know. They would definitely be the top candidate to pull that off out of the Pac-12, out of any of those teams. I think Oregon State goes to a Mountain West. I think Washington State goes to a Mountain West. And that's nothing against those programs. I mean – Washington State's just kind of there. They they were good when Mike Leach was there for a little bit. Yep. And Oregon State's kind of rising in the football ranks and in basketball. They're you know whatever. So so are both programs. So I think those two could easily go into the Mountain West. Utah, um, they're definitely. I think they should one hundred percent remain in a power conference, especially football wise. But and that, they will. I mean, they'll yeah, be with the Big Twelve. Big Twelve. So uh, I I think like from from the Big Ten's perspective. Um, you you know I I think you're looking at Stanford. Stanford provides two really significant assets. The first being its volleyball program. Yes. You add that to the volleyball that is currently in the mix in the conference as scheduled. I mean, Washington is one of the better teams in the country. Yes. That's a huge deal for volleyball. Oregon's on the rise. You add Stanford into the mix there. That's a big deal, uh, and a positive. 
The problem is you need to get you you need to add another school back in there to get to twenty. Now on the baseball side of things, that's the other asset. Well, yeah, and that's was, a huge, huge deal. Say, yeah. That's a huge deal because then if you add Stanford in, into the picture for the Big Ten, you really have five teams on the West Coast uh, that can support the rest of your teams in the middle of the country, and it can also allow you to start your season earlier, your your conference and your regular season games earlier. Excuse me, earlier, and that's really important. Now, that's already kind of the case with the with the way it's lined up. Um, you can probably start the regular season about that fourth week of the year if you have to go to a neutral site. Do that, but you know, fourth or fifth week of the the season as opposed to sixth or seventh. And then, you know, on top of that, Stanford made a regional last year. Stanford hosted a regional last year. So did Oregon, uh, or a super regional. Oregon hosted a super. Washington did fairly well in the Oklahoma State Regional, although they did not get out of Stillwater. Mm-hmm. Those are three really quality programs. And UCLA opened the year ranked in the top 25, and USC has made a regional in recent years as well. So UCLA is really good at softball as well. Yeah, and that's why you would want to add those schools. Yeah. The problem is the logistics. How do you deal with... Rutgers and Washington being 2,300 miles apart, straight line distance. How do you deal with, again, kind of the same problem football is dealing with? If you have 20 teams and only so many weeks in the year, how do you even ensure that you have a definitive conference regular season champion? It's basically impossible. Now, auto bids in baseball are determined off that. Right. Um, but that's really something to consider. Right, and then and then it's also just as bad for softball, and all those things. Right, yeah, so it, it's going to be a, a logistical nightmare, and I don't envy whoever has to put those schedules together, um, especially like the the people at the universities who are going to book this flight to go this place yes. and fly into Pittsburgh and drive three hours to go to Happy Valley to play Penn State or something like that. So, and that's the consequence. I mean, there's a lot of allure to being a coast to coast conference. Yeah. There's also some downsides, and you have to figure out how to deal with that. And, and so that falls on Tony Petiti, uh, you know, the new Big Ten commissioner, to sort of sort all of that stuff out, especially in those bat and ball sports. And, and look, it'll be a problem in basketball too, because maybe less so. Um, it certainly will be a problem in baseball and softball. Yeah, oh yeah, because that, that'll be affected the most. And even with at the SEC adding Texas and Oklahoma. You're in a situation where, for those bat and ball sports, you can still travel fairly easily. You're not traveling across the entire country in some cases. I mean, A&M is in the SEC. I mean, they're yeah. already used to that as a conference. Correct. And, and so there's not as much issue there with regionality and traveling where that kind of exists in baseball and softball in the Big Ten as it's currently structured. What do you do when you have to get back by a certain time to make sure athletes are able be, to be there for class, right? Like... Do you have to start a game at 9 a.m. on Sunday morning? Do you do double headers on Saturdays? And then if you start doing that, then you start getting into, okay, well, what happens with your pitching rotation and your guys on rest? If you have a double header on Saturday, does that give a team an unfair advantage against another team that play guys on Sunday? Like, you, you kind of get into that mess, and you have to find a way to sort it out. And that's something that they have to do between now – and spring of 2025, you know, at least at a bare minimum. So I, I think that's something that's really fascinating. Again, like you'd like to add Stanford, I guess, to get back to my original point, because it is an asset, severely so, for the Big Ten in those two sports, baseball and volleyball, and certainly it would help for football as well. Um, the question is, who do you add to offset them? The problem is, you know, with adding Cal is, and I know there are some people out there who really – hate to see Cal left on the outside or some of the other schools in the Pac-12. Look, and look, this could be naive. Um, perhaps there's parts of the picture that I don't know, but, man, you look at Cal, and Cal does not offer you anything. Uh, Cal nope. prov- provides absolutely nothing right they now. They provide you academics. Correct. But that's not what we're looking at when it comes to – Right. Th- this is purely sports-related – like, should Cal be getting the same amount of money um, as a Nebraska or an Ohio State? You know, once, again, not on the current media deal, because you know any late ads on the current media deal with NBC, CBS, and Fox are not going to get an equal share compared to some of right. the other teams. 
but on the next media deal that the Big Ten would do, assuming in this hypothetical you add Stanford and Cal to get to 20. What do you do there? Because Cal is not going to be producing, bringing the same amount of eyeballs as some of the other schools in your conference. And, yeah. and is that enough for them? That'll be, that'll be the question I answer. And one last thing on this whole realignment thing. The Big Ten basketball tournament is going to be on a different level now. It'll be fun. It's going to be – it will start on Tuesday. Um, it will be very competitive, as it usually is. And it could be in Las Vegas. It could be in L.A. It could yep. be in Chicago. It could be in New York. It could be wherever. So, And, and that's another thing with the Big Ten football championship game, too. That, that could be in Vegas. That could yep. be wherever. So uh, a lot of weird things happening – uh, in, in collegiate athletics right now. And speaking of just college basketball as a whole, um, props to Brett Yormack, who is the commissioner of the Big 12. When UCLA and USC jump ship for the Big 10, or even really when Texas and Oklahoma left the Big 12, the thought was the Big 12 was going to be dead in the water. And, you know, props to everybody in that office who didn't let that become a reality. They did not rest on their laurels like some in the Pac-12 seem to have done. Yes. They were committed to keeping the conference alive. And they have built, with the additions of Arizona, Arizona State, um, with the addition of even Utah and Colorado, which Colorado has been in and out of relevance uh, in, in the college basketball world for a while but they have built a wicked good college basketball conference like big 12 will As be if it must wasn't see tv it was already it was the best conference in basketball a year ago and when they add some of these teams this will be one of the most entertaining conferences in basketball well you add as you said the four Pac 12 schools that you will add arizona obviously highlights that basketball wise certainly you add houston who is a top five program. Yep. You had Cincinnati, who's always been pretty solid. UCF is a solid former AAC school. Um, obviously, you have the powers that you would traditionally have. Uh, who am I forgetting? I don't – I mean, don't sell Bobby Hurley and Arizona State short either. No, yeah, exactly. I mean, they're, they're a good team. Who's the, who am I forgetting? I said Houston. I said Cincy. I said UCF. BYU. Mm-hmm. They're also a solid basketball program. So. Yep. Yeah, I, I agree. I think they were the best conference in basketball last year. I think they will continue to do so when this whole thing unravels, at, at least on paper right now. Obviously, the Big Ten is still really good. The SEC just got a whole lot better adding Texas mm-hmm. in the basketball realm. So it's, Oklahoma with Porter Moser, or Moser. Yeah, I mean, yeah. obviously a lot of potential with their program right now, too. But you just look at what Texas did last year, too. It's just a, a phenomenal team. They did lose a ton, right? Mm-hmm. but... Um, still two really good programs I, overall. I think it's I think it's sad I, I, to some extent um, for the populace at large to sort of see college football and college athletics change in some ways and, and become a more professional, light sort of environment. But It's when the money takes over. And it is kind of, I, I think, you know, <laughs> this, we'll add two Breaking Bad references, I guess. Uh, to this segment, but it, there is no stopping this train at this point. No. And so I think you just kind of have to, at this point, just kind of enjoy being along for the ride because, look, there will be fewer non-conference amazing matchups, but you're going to see better games earlier in the year with the addition of more conference games into the schedule for football. You're going to see some really, really fascinating conferences um, on the on some of the you know your basketball your bat and ball sports, so volleyball of course too. So look, it, it's going to be very very different, and what the the way it was before probably it will not be the same again. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the new world order, so to speak, is going to be bad. In this case, you know, if and, you like the old stuff, enjoy this year. Yeah, because that that'll be the last that you see of it. But I, I, I think everybody will, or at least the majority of the college sports population will grow to enjoy this. Yeah. I mean, you're, I mean, you're going to enjoy watching CBS, NBC and Fox broadcast big 10 games this year. 
Oh I, yeah, you're gonna see you're gonna see the Big Ten on three different networks. It's gonna be great. And that's good. Like that's premier good for the networks. Sport. Yeah, absolutely. So that that's what's going on in the conference realignment world. We'll get to Husker stuff now because we are Husker football. And we are that everything show. And you wanted to do what you like and what you don't like heading into fall camp. Have, yeah, slash do you have any throughout fall camp? You have any early takes? Any early takes on or, or what? Almost through week two of fall camp. I like I like the culture that's being put in place. If you watch the A Look In episode uh, that came out earlier this week, I really like the culture that's being put in place. We're finally seeing that. We never saw that with a Frost regime. So we're seeing that. What I don't like, and this just this is just football for you, I don't like the injuries right now. I don't right. like... I mean, like hearing who's out in the wide receiver room or in the offensive line or Teddy Prochaska being banged up again, that raises an eyebrow, and rightfully so. I mean, that should raise an eyebrow. Now, Teddy's supposed to be back before Minnesota, but like, how how concerned can you be about his longevity? Because he's such a big dude, and he needs that much more maintenance on his body to remain healthy than pretty much everybody else. I mean, that's what happens when you're over 300 pounds and six foot ten. I mean, that's just... The reality of it. Yep. Um, another thing I do like, at least from what I've heard and in, in the limited stuff that I've seen, I do like Jeff Sims. I I am looking forward to seeing him take the reins as quarterback. I have confidence in him as quarterback. He's a big dude, athletic. We saw glimpses of that in the spring game. Um, can run the ball fairly well. Can throw the ball fairly well. Um, and I'm excited to see what he can do. So. Those are my yeses and nos, essentially. Yeah, if I have a, if I have like an an overarching take or takes so far, I mean, I I think I would align with you in a lot of ways. The culture that's front and center. Um, look, like Matt Rule, it's very different. Again, and we talked about this in the spring at different points, right? Where where you would have a situation, um, where. Like you have a guy who is in in Scott Frost who just wasn't he didn't like the media really no um and he didn't really use it to his advantage Matt Rule does not miss an opportunity for good press ever right like you saw that with the volleyball controversy um and him <laughs> buying I I don't think it was I actually don't think it was breakfast I think everybody thought it was breakfast but I, if I remember correctly looking at the image it was Dude, like lunch yeah, or something. It was something. Uh, so like, that's a good example, right? So like that, you know, like everything he said at big 10 media days, his, I, I think someone pointed this out that his, his initial message, uh, w- was somewhat similar to Frost, except he wasn't as abrasive or not abrasive, but as upfront as everyone's going to have to adjust to us. Like he said, you know, he, he, he was a very similar like point, but he phrased it very differently. You know, just talking about, look, we want to earn respect um, and we will get there, blah, blah, blah. How do you be a 10 percenter? Yeah. So that's definitely uh, a a take uh, and it's showing through with everything else. Right. I mean, even 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 the uh, the look in stuff. Right. Like that is literally just a PR vessel. Oh, (laughs) yeah. No, it takes. Don't get me wrong. Like, right. Like it takes incredible work. We know some of the folks who are working on it. Shout out Jordan. Um, he he got in, praised in a press conference. Yep, and Rule loves Jordan. Talks about him all all the time. Um, and then Ethan Weldon is also where I think he's working yes. on this week's episode. Yes. Um, Shout out Ethan. You know, but like the primary like reason for that is obviously to give fans access and to see that. But it also serves as a really good recruiting tool. You get to see what it's like. You get to, you get to hear from players, right? And and so, if you don't think that's going to have an influence on people, it will. Um, so, yeah, I think that's kind of my overarching thought so far before we get into the, uh, oh, no, the I'm nervous about this. I I'm I don't feel confident in this versus what I do feel confident in. I mean, I kind of said this jokingly before we started recording, but something that does concern me, and I see this on Twitter – from multiple different college football shows, and I saw it today. Can't remember what show it was. 
like a national show or yes. like a podcast or yeah, like like a, a national podcast slash radio show. Got it. Nebraska. I wouldn't doubt if they're four zero going into Michigan. We need. I think we need to stop this narrative now. Now I'm not again. Like obviously, I want the team to oh, be four zero in the Michigan narrative. Yes, but please, I'm begging you, have realistic expectations. It is year one under Matt Rule. If they're four zero going into Michigan, great, awesome. I would be pretty surprised. I think they could be three and one. Minnesota's definitely had the toughest game before that, but like. I, I'm sick and tired of hearing eight, nine wins rule first year. Yeah, I don't think that'll happen either. Um, I think six, maybe seven is the ceiling. Uh, I, I agree with you. I think, I think now this kind of happens every year. People sort of set themselves up to fail. Um, look, there's going to be things that don't bounce their way. Like there's going to be 50-50 games that they lose. Minnesota very well could be one of them. I like you think about that game, your face you have a coach who is in year seven. I get it. Like there's there's gonna be you're you're you got a different guy under center, different guy behind him. I think different guy under center for Minnesota makes them better. It probably does. <laughs> to a certain extent. There there was a point maybe 2020, 2019, Tanner Morgan where I would have disagreed with you, but he he did not uh age well. No. The I think you're facing that that experience against a first-year head coach at Nebraska, first year at Nebraska. I, I, I would say, and look, I'm probably foreshadowing here too much, but I, I would probably pick Minnesota in that first game. I would too. So I think 3-1 and one's attainable, but 4-0 and oh is going to be very, very difficult. If 4-0 and oh happens, I mean, what, and how many years in a row have we talked about this, whether that's on here or even before, like that's, I mean, that's I got here. How many times? How many years in a row are we going to talk about if Nebraska wins the first game of the year, everything changes? Well, that's because almost. Well, yeah, because every year we've been here, they've opened right. the season with a conference game, which is good and bad all yeah. the same time. Right. If well, you lose, see. it's bad. Freshman year, Ohio State. Uh, sophomore year was Illinois. It's it was oh, yeah, Illinois. It was Illinois. That, oh my goodness. Yep. That arguably. One of the, I think, one of the worst games in our college career. It's pretty least, bad. It was terrible. Um, obviously, last year Northwestern yep. also up there for one of the worst college games in our college career. Yep. Um, so, I mean, I guess we'll get to this now. Minnesota is a six and a half point favorite as of today. Yeah, I think that's fine. I think it's a very fair number. Um, I I wouldn't be surprised if Nebraska covers that. I don't think they're going to win, but I think it'll be kind of like a. Okay, this is pretty intense going into the fourth quarter. First game of the year, Thursday night, big noon crew is going to be out. Like it's 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 a bright lights game, right? I think it'll be close going into that fourth quarter. I could see Nebraska covering. I wouldn't say if you're a betting guy that that's a lock, but I think it's a fair number. It's better than yeah, nine I agree. Than what it was. No, I do. Well, and that gets me to my biggest concern. If we're going to get the concerns out of the way first, uh, it remains the offensive line. Uh, Again, you know, Teddy Prohaska goes down with an injury. He'll allegedly be back by game one. He made it through all of fall camp a year ago without getting hurt, but that's that's to me is – like, I get it. You add Nuri Nuili back in there, that'll help. But he was in a green non-contact jersey at practice on Tuesday. He's working his way back. Um, look – there are some serious, serious questions that this group, albeit an old and experienced group, needs to answer up front. That, that to me, remains the biggest, like, oh, man, I really don't know how this is going to turn out. They need to experience winning. That's something they haven't experienced. And, that, I mean, yeah. They, and in order to do that, they need to, they need to do their job to a better ability than they right. have been. And you got a guy back there who's mobile, but I mean Adrian Martinez was too, right? Oh, so yeah. uh, that that to me, like again, Turner Corcoran working again at left tackle. And this is a guy who, again, like all of these guys have undergone certain levels of strength training and flexibility training and mobility training, and it's a very different sort of strength and conditioning and nutritional staff than the previous administration. But 
this is a guy who graded out as like one of the worst pass blocking tackles in the entire NCAA a year ago. He had several like just a really rough year, but he's he's got the measurables, he's got the experience. Maybe he puts it together. Like that's a huge question mark if he's there at left tackle. And then the same is true for Bryce Benhart on the right side. You know, these guys are guys who have been much maligned. It will be really, really fascinating to see if they're able to sort of either flip a switch or just kind of change the perspective that they have, the perception of them that they have within this state and sort of alter things. Because Matt Rule wants the offensive line, he said as much, to sort of be like the leaders of this team team-wide, to sort of be the rock and stabilizing foundation for this group, which is what they should yes. be anyway. Can they get there? And that'll go a long way in determining how successful the team is this year, I think. I agree. Um, I think another bright spot that uh, I think we should highlight too is Isaac Gifford. He's been talked about a lot by yeah, Coach Yeah, if you want to, yeah, are we are we switching over now to the likes, the confidence? Because yeah. Gifford Gifford would definitely fall in that category for me as well. I mean, he's a single digit number recipient, which were announced uh, fairly recently, I believe, yesterday. Yes, so Wednesday. Yep, last night. Uh, Billy Kemp is number one, Isaac Gifford number two, Luke Reimer number four. That's going to look weird. And Jeff Sims wearing number seven. Don't put too much pressure on the guy, but he's wearing number seven. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I think, like, my like, my my confidence secondary, even with Miles Farmer moving on, that I'm very, very confident, I think, in, in how that secondary lines up. Especially if if there are if they truly are positionless to the point where you could plug and play those guys at any point in the back end if somebody gets hurt, uh, if somebody just transfers away. Not that I expect something like that to happen, i.e. Miles Farmer. But even with Miles Farmer leaving, I really feel like that is going to be a strength of this team. And in a three three five, uh, you need it to be. Uh, because you have five DBs on the field. So like that, to me, is the biggest, like, I feel confident. There's another group that sort of falls in that category to me, um, but I wonder if you'll pick that. But to me, like, that is that is the thing I'm most confident in. Yeah, I would agree, and I think that positionless point is a, a good thing to have when you can just, you know, plug somebody in anywhere, and they have the ability to play um, – that position on on short notice. I mean, when your number is called, you got to be ready. And and obviously that's a a saying that's been around since the beginning of time when it comes to sports. But um, I will say uh, another positive I will say is the running back room. I like There's that. There's mine. That's the other Gabe one. Gabe Irvin, you have Anthony Grant, you have Ramir Johnson, you have a lot of guys that have seen the field and when they have seen the field have had success, obviously – AG, the leading rusher last year, um, could take a next step this year. Um, Gabe Irvin is another guy that was like, hey, everybody, this dude could definitely take the next step this year. So um, I'm going to go with the running back room as well uh, for, for a positive. And I'm excited to see what they could do in the ground game. But obviously, it doesn't happen without the O-line. Correct. Uh, a, a note here for you on the – on the running back side of things, especially why it's it's so important. Like, I, I was thinking about this with Gabe Irvin a little bit. Like, he has had, for I think now three consecutive seasons, a relatively large amount of offseason hype that he just yes. hasn't quite been able to deliver on. Wasn't fully healthy last year, was dealing with a couple of different things. Obviously, the season-ending injury against Oklahoma two years ago. He's big. <laughs> That's the biggest offseason takeaway from him. He is big. Um, he's running better. He feels healthy. Um, he had taken steps in that direction a year ago, but I think it's sort of elevated beyond that. And, and Nebraska needs a number two back. Like, they very, very yes. badly need a number two back. Think back to last year. You know, Anthony Grant, in his first five games of the season, he's averaging five and a half yards per carry, rushed for 594 yards on 108 carries. His next 108 carries, which he happened to have exactly 108 carries in each half this year, he translated to 350. That translated to 315 yards. So 594 on his first 50% of his carries, 319 on the second half, 2.9 yards per tote there. Uh, he tallied one 100 yard rushing performance after week five, and he failed to reach 50 rushing yards five times in that same stretch. 
So that is, to me, now, granted, it's a symptom of a couple of things. The first being Nebraska faced better rushing defenses down the stretch. Michigan, for one, for example. Uh, Iowa. It's also a symptom of A.J. Allen suffering a season-ending injury. Yes. And there being no additional support for Grant. So that needs to happen. Like you need to be able to run two guys back there. And Marcus Satterfield said as much. Like they don't have Bo Jackson back there, so you're going to need multiple guys to step up and be able to carry the football, be able to pass block, catch the ball out of the backfield, check all those boxes, right? So I, I think that to me would be the biggest question facing that running back room going into the year because it seems like it's deep enough between Ramir Johnson, Gabe Irvin, and and Anthony Grant. The question is, is it? Can those guys, especially the latter two and Irvin and Johnson, sort of capitalize on some of the offseason talk that has surrounded them entering the last year or so? I think you need that two-headed monster, as you said. I think you need a 1,000-yard rusher. I mean, that's right. like you need that 1K guy in this league, and that's something that Nebraska hasn't been able to get. AG was close last year, but he, he did not eclipse that 1,000-yard mark, so – um, I, yeah, I, I'm right on board with you there for that positive. And, uh, we, we can only speculate so much about what's going to happen. There's going to be a new round of pressers tomorrow. Yep. Um, so we'll know more then. And, um, we'll, we'll talk about that next week and, and the week leading into the game. Last, uh, hundred yard rusher for Nebraska, 2018 Divino Zigbo. So that was a thousand yards. Yeah, that was, he was 182, I think. Yes. So. And that was year one of Frost, I believe. Yeah, he was good that year. He was really good. He was very good that year. If we could like copy and paste him to this team, I uh, that would be that would be fun. Yeah. But uh, again, I the the guys in the room have more than the capability of doing that. It's just a matter of setting them up for success th- throughout the year. So I say we take a quick look around the Big Ten and give I don't want to say a full preview of how they're going to be but just like pretty brief thoughts about hey this school's going to do this this year and this school's going to do that so let's start in the east i'll go through the division standings from a year ago and then we will uh move on from there so obviously michigan at first we're thinking uh, like a like a one sentence sort of thing on each of these y- you could do spice it you up. could be t- one or two okay. i would say uh, Michigan at first, nine and zero in the league, thirteen and one overall. Ohio State second, eight and one in the league, eleven and two. Penn State at third, Maryland, Michigan State, Indiana, Rutgers. We'll start with we'll, we'll start with Rutgers. We'll go from the bottom up. Uh, Greg Schiano, hot seat. I agree. Greg Schiano, smash mouth football. Does it happen this year? That's no, probably. They probably. Have- <laughs> I would love to see it happen because it would just be so random, but. Uh, it will definitely not happen. Indiana. Tom Allen hot seat. I mean, those, those are the two hottest seats in the Big Ten right there. Tom Allen annoys me. That's my sentence. Also true. <laughs> Michigan State. This is interesting. Pay too much, I think. Uh, look, we'll see if Mel Tucker can get the Spartans to a point where you can think maybe that first year there wasn't a fluke or whatever, second year maybe. Uh, yeah, that would be my thought. I, I think you – Definitely have something to prove there. Pressure. I think that would be my one-word review for Michigan State is pressure. Maryland. On the rise. I think think Mike Loxie kind of is sort of an underrated coach in some ways. Um, In Talia Takaviola, you got a really solid quarterback. I I think this is a team that will be able to really push some of the other teams in the East and might make a little noise, cause a little upset, maybe knock a team – that was expecting to maybe make the college football playoff. They play Nebraska out this with year. a loss, yes. And now Nebraska does get them on the heels of a trip to Penn State. Yes. And so that's a boon for Nebraska there because that's that's no easy test. I'm going to throw out a phrase that we use a lot with our, our friends, especially uh, in the apartment. Look out. Because mm. I think Maryland, I mean, speed is a word to describe them electricity offensively is a word to describe them. I think they're going to be a, a handful yeah. uh, in this East division and in the conference as a whole uh, this coming year. Penn State. Overrated, maybe? Ooh. I don't know. There's a lot of people who like them as a dark horse. I know. That's why I'm surprised. 
I just I I am suspect of some of the talk. There's no real evidence behind this. You know, it's very uh, very much like the you know the From Trev. The it's very much like the Trev Alberts. You know what? There's no empirical evidence suggesting this should work. Uh, <laughs> after you know extending uh, Coach Frost, that's kind of my thought. It's like I don't have any empirical evidence backing this up. I just I I don't really buy the the offseason talk. You're, you're going to need to show me that there's a quarterback who is above average um, for me to really buy in. Yeah, I was going to say, is their quarterback play good enough? And I, I think that's the question. I don't know enough about Penn State to confidently say that they will be a dark horse in the East Division. They'll, they'll be good. I mean, they're Penn State. They're always good. But, um, yeah, will they have a quarterback? And uh, a team that you could probably say a similar thing about, Ohio State. Something to prove. Ooh, last I like year, it. I last like year it. for AD Gene Smith, uh, you just got absolutely spanked by Michigan a year ago. If you're Ryan Day, that to me is a interesting, interesting position to be in because if you don't like the new AD, is there a Ryan Day NFL jump coming? Do the fans get restless if Ohio State loses to Michigan again this year? There is there is some real intrigue around this Ohio State team this year. I think this is going to be really fascinating to watch. Is Ryan Day becoming the new Jim Harbaugh of old? He can do well in the rest of the regular season, but when it comes down to that Michigan game and in the no, playoffs... No, because he hasn't proven anything. I, I mean, he has not proven I'm just anything. saying this is before... Harbaugh has proven stuff, I think. But I'm just talking strictly collegiately before Harbaugh and Michigan started making playoffs... It's kind of it's got shades of the same situation. You do well during the regular season, you can't beat your rival. That keeps you out of a championship game. Yeah, and then you either a squeak into the playoff and lose, or you miss it altogether. How the turntables? It's it's weird. I I don't know. Maybe that's just me, but I see a lot of similarities there. And then of course Michigan, uh, national title contender and or in trenches are your options there. I mean <laughs> they absolutely. Uh, whoop posterior end in the trenches yes uh and that is you you have basically two nfl running backs in the backfield that team is about as scary as it gets this is going to sound really weird but i'm going to say it anyway pretty boy sandwich because you got (laughs) the big uglies up front Mm -hmm. then you got jj mccarthy under center Mm -hmm. and then you got these two huge running backs behind him that can carry the ball wherever whenever so that's how I'm going to describe Michigan yeah, heading into this year. Like but, uh, yeah, national championship contenders, absolutely. Okay, we'll move to the West. Last year, from 1 to 7, Purdue, Illinois, Iowa, Minnesota, Wisconsin, your Big Red, and Northwestern. And let's just address the elephant in the room with Northwestern. Disaster. <laughs> There's – I just – I don't know what to expect. I – do not see any international games on Northwestern's schedule this year, so no boons will be thrown the Cats' way. Unfortunately. Winless seems like a possibility. Cats against the world. I I'm, guess. Ki- I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> Absolutely kidding. But, um, I mean, disaster is a good word. Oblivious. And I'm using that to describe the higher-ups in their athletic department. There you go. They do not know about anything that happens in that football team in any program, it yeah. seems like. I mean, how – I'm going to take a minute to rant because I, I'm i a Northwestern guy, right? Yep. How do you not know – the hazing is the one thing, right? And everybody claims to not know about it. Who knows how much truth there is to that, right? But how do you not know that the entire coaching staff is going to order shirts that have cats against the world on them with the number 51 on it, which is Pat Fitzgerald's old number, and you say you had no idea? Not to mention, you have not stepped foot in front of the media for a second. You've released a statement. You've met with your players via Zoom after this whole thing went down. What is going on in that athletic department? Yeah, disaster. Obliviousness. Stupidity. I hate to say it about Northwestern, but my God, it's true. It is bad. It is really bad. So we will move on from that whole catastrophe. Nebraska. No pressure. Ooh. Look, I think you can kind of see it. 
everyone is loose really I, compared to a year ago and sort of the pressure players were under to try to save Scott Frost's job I they're a lot looser and so I think the question is do any of the old demons start showing up again if there's a close game lost yeah, that, in the first four weeks of the year or if there's a you go to Colorado and lay an egg you know you know do, do they stay loose and, and does that end up being a good thing I would say this is kind of going to be the opposite. I'd say sense of urgency because expectations for year one obviously are not through the roof. I'm a, I'm in agreement with you. Six and six. I think they get their seventh win in a bowl game maybe. But if you really want to set yourself up to compete in a divisionless conference, this year being the last division, I think you got you to gotta show a step. You got to show a step forward. I think that's absolutely mandatory because – it's only going to get harder when you add the four new teams. You get rid of the divisions. I mean, instead of a 17 mountain, it's going to be a 17 team mountain to try and get there, right? So I think there's a sense of urgency. I'm not saying they have to be perfect. Again, I'm, I'm looking postseason, right? I'm looking six and six. Maybe like even if they go five and seven, but they show a lot of signs that, hey, there aren't any more Scott Frost demons. They're not losing in excruciating ways that they used to. Maybe they lose a one-score game, but it's because, I don't know, the other team just made one more play. You still played a good game. You didn't throw it away, right? You didn't give up 15 yards in the second half and still lose, right? So I think a, a, a slight sense of urgency for this Nebraska team this year is what I would say. Luke Fickle and his boys, Wisconsin. Odd hype. I, I don't get it. I think it's part of it's the brand, part of it's Luke Fickle and the respect that he's earned. Uh, I think it's going to be hard. It's going to be really hard to take players who are very used to being a sort of smash mouth style team and make them air raid. I just, I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't necessarily understand the amount of national attention Wisconsin has received. I'm wait and see mode. I I just it just feels odd. Yeah, I I think that's honestly pretty accurate. Um I'll go just question mark. Like like what are we going to see from this Wisconsin team? I mean, I see a lot of people putting them in their preseason top 25. I don't know if I go that far yet. I could see this team going bowling for sure, but I don't know if they'll be top 25 good, as you mentioned, trying to flip an entire program that's, you know, built the foundation on running the ball and smash mouth football. You know, the, the big Wisconsin boys up there, they, they like to rough you up. So that'll be an interesting transition. Obviously, Fickle does have Big Ten background, but um, yeah, it'll be, a, it'll be a weird, I mean, you, you think Wisconsin, you never think Air Raid. So no. that's just going to be kind of odd for the Big Ten fan that that's just kind of sitting on their couch every Saturday like what like what's this Wisconsin's taking two shots in a single possession what we've never seen this before so uh yeah it, it'll be an interesting turnaround Minnesota uh Fleck Bucks we'll go with that uh, Fleck Bucks. uh look I the Fleck Bucks might have run out at this point um I I really you know Nebraska almost <laughs> Nebraska almost beat Minnesota a year ago and Nebraska was not a good team. Nebraska did not have Casey Thompson at quarterback. I just, I really question without Mo Ibrahim, even with Ethan Kaliak Manis under center, what this good team, job on the name, what this team is going to be. And I, I think Fleck is working now without two cornerstones in Tanner Morgan, uh, and then, of course. Uh, Mo Ibrahim that he has had basically his entire time in Minneapolis. It's a quarterback upgrade. I'm I'm high on Ethan Kalik Manis, some of which are for biased reasons, but he's been in the program for this will be his third year. Um, he's more athletic than Tanner Morgan. I think he can throw with with the experience he will gain. I think he will be able to throw a better ball than Tanner Morgan. It's just a more athletic version of him, I think. Um, no Mo Ibrahim, or Ibrahim, however the hell you say his name, I never get it right. 
that's obviously the big question mark. But I feel like, kind of like Wisconsin, maybe to a lesser extent, Minnesota still's got somebody in there that can do the job, and they're good up front. They've always ha- they've always have been under PJ Fleck. Um, but I, I think Callie Mattis is going to have a pretty good year. I'm not I'm not saying like best quarterback in the Big Ten, but I, I think he'll have a pretty good year, and he will be the reason Minnesota has success offensively. You also have a seventh year receiver there in Chris Hopman Bell. Yeah, that's true. That's ridiculous. Seventh. Oh my god. Anyway, speaking of uh, guys who have been places for a very long time, Iowa. Twenty five points per game. Ooh. I think. It's possible they get there. I, I don't know. There's a lot of offseason talk about the Hawkeyes as well. I don't know if they get the 25 points per game. I think the offense is going to be better. Uh, and the defense, you you can count on the defense being really good. I, it's really hard, I think. I think it's really hard to pick anyone but Iowa to win the Big Ten West at this point. Because you don't know what Wisconsin is going to be. Uh, you don't know what Minnesota is going to be. You I think you probably expect Purdue to take a step back. So I, I, I think Iowa has got to be the favorites in the Big Ten West going into the year. And they're definitely going to take a step forward offensively because they were the worst team in the nation a year ago. So nowhere to go but up. Yeah, shiny new offense. I mean, you get Cade McNamara from Michigan who has playoff experience I mean the dude is a good quarterback right I mean I hate to say it but as a fan I hate combining Iowa and Michigan into one because number of reasons but yeah this is an offense that will absolutely take a step forward I'd be shocked if they didn't Um, I mean you give last year's defense from Iowa a halfway competent offense I mean, can you imagine yeah. how good that they, they easily like, win they the conference? They easily win the West. Sorry, yeah. the conference. Like they're probably a nine-win football team. So uh, Iowa definitely takes a step forward in the offensive category. We'll move on to as shout out to Schmitty likes to call him the pig farmer. Illinois. This is a hard one to feel out. I think um, in a lot of ways, I, I think. I don't know, maybe Brett Bielema revenge campaign. Revenge. How's It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see them play Wisconsin again. Yes. Uh, I, I don't know. Illinois is such an odd team. You Again, you'd think they would take a step back as well. Um, but we'll see. We'll see how this thing turns out. It's really, it's it's such a, bo- it's kind of like a boring team. They're kind of they're kind of boring, but they're, they're they win. Conventional. They they conventionally win football games, and that's that's the way it's done in the West, at least for yep. this last year. I think they'll take a step back, but not a huge one. I think they'll be a seven and five football team this year. So, um, let's say middle of the road for Illinois. How about that? Uh, I'll say that's middle fair. of the road. You know they're going to be physical. They're going to beat the hell out of you. They they have for a number of years and. Their defense is going to be stout. Um, just how do you replace those draft picks that you lost uh, a season ago? Finally, last but not least, the reigning West Division champions, the Purdue Boilermakers. Uh, call it a crater. Uh, a crater. I, I think I think this team will just absolutely plummet to the bottom of the standings. Really? Uh, I think... Below the, Northwestern. Yes. Really? Well, actually, sorry. Okay. No. I was going to say. I was going to say, uh, without Northwestern, they would. Um, but I just, the Hudson card experiment, I, I don't know. Again, a lot of question marks there as well. So, I I, I just, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't just think Purdue's going to take a step back. I think they're going to take a significant They're going to fall off a cliff. Step back. Wow. I think Purdue... I'm with you on the step back. Uh, I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll just I'll kind of steal one of your words. Experiment. I mean, how how is this going to work? And I'm honestly kind of sad Jeff Brom left. I I really liked what they had going out there in West. I mean, I went to the game in person when Nebraska was out there, and we all remember it. it shootout, Trey Palmer game, whatever. But I mean, they had that, that's one of the best Purdue atmospheres I've ever been in. And I've been going to Purdue games. Not that like I'm a regular at Ross Aid Stadium, but I've mm-hmm. been to like four or five games there now, and easily the best 
atmosphere. You, you could feel the buzz around the game. Like people were excited about Purdue football, and that's not really the case all the time. So that's kind of what I'm sad. I'm, I'm he he ended up leaving. Right. I understand why, but um, yeah, I'll say experiment. I don't know if they'll fall that far, but I think they'll probably be around. A... The biggest question is: Is he ready? I think they'll be around. I don't know if I want to say that. Or are you going to drop them? I was going to say within a game either way of Nebraska. I mean, that's probably not far from the truth. All right, I'll, I'll stick with it. Be, I mean, because if you're looking at the standings right now, you have to go Iowa, Illinois. I, I think I think you could interchange. Minnesota, Wisconsin, Nebraska, Purdue, yeah, Northwestern. I, yeah, I, I would say that's pretty fair. So... That's our brief look around the Big Ten. We'll get more in depth uh, as we get closer to game week. But uh, there, there's our, I guess, our one sentence slash phrase uh, for each team this season. And to wrap up this episode, we'll head to the hardwood because why not? And who doesn't love their basketball, right? Uh, first of all, Fred Hoiberg getting a little bit of a pay increase, making three and a half, three and a half million dollars coming into this season, made three point two five met whatever metrics that they agreed on him and Trev Alberts uh, after that pay reduction. Jerron Coleman, the newest addition to this team uh, from Ball State, also played a year at Missouri, averaged 14-5-5 and last year, uh, was second team All-Mac. This obviously comes in the wake of the whole Aaron Euless situation yep. with the betting, and we don't really know how that's going to play out. I would assume he's going to lose his eligibility yeah. pretty easily. Um, so I think, I mean... Even outside of Coleman, I mean, really nice job by Fred to go get a replacement quickly while you're in Spain, may I add. I mean, all this is going down while they're overseas on their trip. And overall, I mean, the transfer class, I, I'm i a huge fan of how it's coming together. Yeah, it's good. I, I think, look, looking at that roster right now, like even though Aaron Euless is gone, um, you, you're going to be looking at a place where you can – like, let's think about the ball handlers. Like, you can have Jamarcus Lawrence handling that. You can have a six-four Kale Jacobson potentially, who's really had who had a really really good trip. Um, center Kale Jacobson. Yeah, playing at center. Play, <laughs> I mean, he was playing all five positions, right? Um, you know, Ulysses is probably not going to be there for you, but you'll have Jaron Coleman as well. So there's like three guys right there. Coleman doesn't have to be the primary ball handler. You know, th- there's right. I think they have options there. And, and let's be honest, I, although I don't think this is what cost Nebraska games a year ago, but you know Sam Griesel isn't your traditional point guard being as tall as he is, the size that he is. So Nebraska was kind of, to some extent, working in an unconventional environment already a year ago. Um, so I, 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 think, I, I think this is fascinating to just kind of see how this all plays out. Um, whether you know Boogie Coleman ends up being Nebraska's main point guard or not, yeah, it, you you could throw a, a ton of different guys. I mean, as we get closer to the basketball season, it is absolutely fascinating how many different lineups Fred could throw out there. I mean, you could go small ball, you could go tall, you could do this, you could go guard heavy, you could go big yeah. heavy. It's like and talk about pressure. I mean, well, it's, it's it, nit or bust. Yeah, it like it, like that, nit now is, is the, the bare time. minimum. Now is the time. Yeah. Like you got it. Like I'm saying. Mark it down right now in August. I've been saying this all year, ever since we've gotten the majority of the transfers. I'm thinking 18, 19 wins. And I like, I mean that. Like, your non con is set up <laughs> for you to have success. Oh, yeah. You should at least be nine and two heading into conference play. I think anything less than that yeah. is a disappointment. Yeah. If Creighton and Kansas State, you're dropping as counting as losses in that non con. But like, even then, like, yeah, if you lose luckily anybody for else you, in there, you get Creighton at home this year. Which right. is nice, and that's you're coming huge, off of a win. That's a huge bonus. Creighton's going to be good, obviously, but you get him at home, which is always nice. Um, I'll give you just a, a quick rundown of the entire transfer class. So, people who left: uh, Wilhelm Breidenbach to Washington. So, I guess another Big Ten school, which is kind of funny. Uh, <laughs> people were sad about this. Oleg, uh, he went to Wyoming, but good for him. I mean, he, that's Wyoming's so pretty good. Uh, basketball program I was sad about this Denim Dawson he went to Tennessee State uh, best of luck to him he's got I think a huge ceiling super athletic guy um, and Coron McPherson uh, going to NIU so 
the guys that Fred was able to gain, Josiah Alec, the Lincoln native from New Mexico State, Rink Mast, who is essentially your Derek Walker replacement. Except he can ve- also shoot the three. Yes, he can shoot it very well. He he basically does what Derek did, plus shoot. Right. I mean, you could spread, like, you could literally run the same stuff for Rink Mast. Maybe he's not, like, t- it's hard to compare him to Derek's finishing around the rim because that was just absurd last year. Uh, but he's he's a great fill-in. Um, Jerron Coleman, obviously, and then Bryce Williams. I, I think he's a guy who really intrigues me as well. Six foot seven. Um, he's from Charlotte, uh, grad transfer. Could shoot the ball pretty well, so he kind of fits into that Hoiberg mold. I mean, he projects as the team's leading scorer. I think. I think I think he could be up there. Um, I I feel like you can't talk leading scorer, and I maybe this is too last year hype of me. I think you got to throw Casey in that conversation. Yeah, I think yeah, you I absolutely agree. have to. Um, and this isn't transfer portal related, but I expect Jamarcus Lawrence to take a big step. I think he can be a very, very good guard in this league. I mean, based on what he showed you last year, he can shoot the ball well. He's athletic. He became very fearless at the end of the year, too. I mean, he was making plays in that Michigan State game when Nebraska was, you know, having that great first half up 15. I mean, he was going at it. So um, I expect him to, to make a big jump. But Jerron Coleman is the replacement. At least that's how it seems. It probably will happen uh, for Aaron Eulis, who is being investigated for all those betting charges. Yeah, and like criminal charges, I uh, think, yeah, as well, tampering. Well, he bet like over 700 times underage, and he bet $34,800. So, yeah, that'll probably raise a couple of eyebrows when it comes to uh, the NCAA rules and regulations. So, uh, we will wrap this up. First episode since March 31st. We, I promise we're going to be consistent throughout the school year because we'll actually be able to. Um, so, yeah, that'll wrap it up for episode 116 of Husker Sports Weekly. Once again, you can find us on Twitter at C underscore Clark and Hanson Not Hanson. You can follow the show on Twitter at Husker Weekly. You can follow Grant's work on On3 and Husker Online. Um, you can – I don't really do the same thing. So I, you can find my work, I guess, when I tweet it out. How about that? Sounds um, good to me. So if you want to listen to the last two weeks of the Salt Dog season, go ahead. Be my guest. They're in the thick of a playoff race. They haven't been playing too well as of recently, though. So um, that's where you can find me for the remainder of the summer. But we always appreciate you tuning in. Uh, it's always a great time doing this podcast. And uh, we will be gearing you up for Nebraska-Minnesota. Next time we talk, it'll be two weeks away. So this thing is getting here quick. We're already in the month of August. So that's what we got for you here on episode number 116, and we will talk to you in a week. But until then, go Big Red.